0: Well, 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 friends, we're back for season five. Thank you for listening. Make sure you got those notifications turned on because we're going to be dropping an episode every week uh, for this season. And we're talking about a variety of uh, topics. And so uh, this week, we're actually on part two of an interview that I conducted. Uh, I'm interviewing Cedric, and we're talking about that and how it intersects with my dissertation and trauma so i want to say that some of this information might be a little heavy but hopefully it's thought-provoking and it's getting you to think about uh how trauma may have been transmitted to you and maybe some behaviors that you exhibit um and again this is all through a black lens but we're coming and we're sharing our token experiences and so If you're new to the channel, this is our reintroduction uh, to who we are, kind of the origin stories. And so we would encourage you to go back and listen. Um, And again, we wouldn't be able to do this without your support, especially the support of our Patreons. If you're not a Patreon, please visit our website uh, at patreon.com backslash token confession. You can join us there or just follow us on Instagram, Twitter and Facebook. Not sure if we're going to make the uh, transition to TikTok, but who knows? We'll see uh you know it's all integrated and owned by the same person so we might have to make that transition so anyways here's part two of our interview with cedric and how it intersects with post-traumatic slave syndrome enjoy you didn't know you didn't know what you don't know right yeah you don't know what you don't know Mm -hmm. yeah yeah so how does this impact like your understanding um of racism and and how would you define racism?
1: Well, in a lot of ways, that incident ended up being almost like a precursor for what was to come right. come 2013, 14, yeah. 15. Because my last my last year there was uh you know, the beginning of 2016. Yep. Yeah. Um so you had you had it, you know, it started with um Trayvon Martin. Yeah. And then it was uh um would you think would you would you say
0: this is a fair statement do you feel like Trayvon's murder is like the 2000s 2010s like version of Rodney King
1: no yeah. it, was, it was worse yeah He's worse i mean it's for a significant
0: impact like, at large?
1: Mm-mm, it was worse. Wow, okay. It was worse. Okay. Because, I mean, with the Rodney King thing, um, yeah, it was caught on video. And just, despite the fact that Rodney King was caught on video yeah. and Trayvon was not, Rodney King was a grown man. Yeah. We've been talking about police brutality, right? Right. In the black community and in black art, you know, film and music for years. Right. So that wasn't no surprise to us. We knew they were going to get off. Right. right? Um, it, Trayvon, I mean, and, and also the, the, the quote LA riots, it wasn't, it wasn't new. Right. It happened 30 years before. Right. All over the country. Right. right? After MLK was assassinated. Yeah. After um the incidents in Watts in 65 and then 70. You know, that 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 wasn't that wasn't new. Trayvon was different because it was a teenager who had committed no crime, who had minded his own business. And not to say that Rodney you know, committed some kind of crime that deserved getting beaten to within inches of his life. Right. But Trayvon was minding his own business and most importantly, it was some wannabe cop neighborhood watch dude who didn't even have a badge. Right. And that he got away with it. And I wrote back then, my concern with the verdict of him being acquitted, while it might make, air quotes, legal sense, I fear that it's going to lead to basically open season on black men because if a citizen can get away with this, the police are going to have a field day. Right. And I ended up being, unfortunately, prophetic. Right. Because then we had... Mike Brown and John Crawford the yep. third and Tamir Rice and you know the list goes on and on and, and on, right? Yep. And being in that space while those things were going on and seeing the people whom I had lived life with. Yeah. Whether it be rec sports, meals, dinners, movies. You know, sing on the choir with, baptize their kids, disciple their kids, go silent.
0: Mm. Yeah.
1: Go completely silent to the point that, and again, I've mentioned this before, like nobody said nothing to me. So your organization
0: didn't say anything.
1: I'm not just talking about the organization. I'm talking about the community. Yeah. The vast majority of the community. Yeah. That I had literally given myself to. I mean, walk through getting married, going through infertility,
0: yep.
1: adoption, my wife's breast cancer, like yep. had these people walk with me and us through that. But when it came time for them to show up on the issue of the dignity of black lives, not only they had nothing to say. That their behavior, not all, but many showed an avoidance. Again, wasn't fully awake to it, but I knew deep down inside it was time for me to leave.
0: Hmm. Yeah. So your organization and community didn't say anything about it.
1: You'd maybe have one-off conversations with people here or there, but not to the point where I felt supported and with the announcement of Trump's presidency and him stepping into moving into that space with the kind of violence, right? Cause we, we, we often joke, bro, why are you choosing violence? Like right. he was choosing violence. Right. And that came to bear with right. the end of his presidency. Right. Literally. Literally. The, the American way. Um, right. Hmm, right. So <sighs> the fact that I didn't feel, it was enough for me to not feel safe any longer. Hmm.
0: And that's why you left.
1: And that's, that's a big motivator to why I left. Now, at hmm. the time, the way I was processing it, hmm. it was really a combination of, I'm not sure if I want to do student ministry anymore. Yep but my burden in ministry had expanded beyond youth. But I'm like, well, if I'm not going to do youth ministry, what am I going to do? And there's no position for me to do something else here. Ironically, one of my really good friends Mm. says, they should have made you a pastor of justice. Mm. Mm. They should have created a position for you. The reality is, is they didn't want me to step into yep. that; it would make them really uncomfortable. Yeah,
0: because if I recall, you preached a sermon on not just justice ish, if I remember correctly,
1: not there. Okay. By the time I left, I hadn't preached there in like four years. Okay, okay. Yeah, but once I left and went to the next place, that's when I started to step into my yeah. voice. More, yeah, And voice. not just my voice in regards to that issue, but in, in anything and in everything. Right. Because to part of what your point in your dissertation, I remember having uh, somebody... Few people there, but one who was also on staff really encouraged me and just saying, "You are as talented as anybody on this staff, and particularly when it comes to communication and preaching." Right. But here's the thing. If I'm this talented and this gifted, why is nobody taking me under their wing? Mm. Why am mm. I getting less opportunities, not more? Thus, and don't just tell me it's because, well, you're not always in the office on time. Yeah. Well, it's because, you know, the, 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 we want to see some more this and yeah. that with the youth group.
0: Thus the biggest theme. Thus the trauma manifesting. Because you're, again, you're you painting it so beautifully. Like you're passing up on opportunities, you're giving these excuses, right. and then you but, may you may try to. But fix those here's things. the thing:
1: in their defense, I did the work for them. Mm. I passed on the first couple opportunities to go from being a middle school youth pastor to a high school pastor, mm. and I've always felt conflicted about that because in my paradigm, yeah. one is not greater than the other. Yeah. In fact, I would actually argue middle school is superior. Yeah, or requires more than high school. Yeah, because you are literally the bridge between children and youth. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But also, like again, um, to be a really good youth pastor, you gotta be a youth and family pastor. You have to be pastor to to families and parents. Yeah. And I think, again, looking back, I recognize for me to step into my voice more is going to become. Difficult,
0: yeah,
1: and in some ways dangerous because then here I am, a young black man, getting in the business of adult white folks, yeah. and that's gonna press up against their their own unseen biases
0: and intergenerational trauma. Correct, <laughs> that they don't realize is manifested. That they don't realize yes, is manifested. Which, I, which is why I've yeah.
1: always wanted to. Like, even deal with them tenderly or gently because I was in those spaces long enough to know that they don't know that they don't know.
0: Right, right. Yeah. I'm, man, yes, I agree. So, because I,
1: sorry, I'm on a roll here, but go, go, go. When I started stepping into more predominantly black spaces and hearing their perspective on white people, I was just like, I hate to tell you, but you're oversimplifying it. It's more complicated than that. Mm. It's not as simple as they just don't like black
0: people. Yeah.
1: It's not as simple yeah. as they're racist. Yeah. It's more complicated
0: yeah, than that. Very much so.
1: Mo you know, the most of the people there, they genuinely They don't know. They don't know. They don't know. And they genuinely,
0: right? And then but again that and that's the other side of right. the dissertation. But is,
1: then I got to be honest in saying and going back to uh-huh. a conference I went to in 2008 and heard an exec from BET say this uh-huh. and acknowledge and say, well, Cedric, you also got to acknowledge this too. Is it that they really, is that really that complicated? And I'm not answering the question. I'm just putting this out there, yeah. right? To just show even the complexity of trying to figure out how complex it is. Right, right. Is it really that it's that complicated? That it's not as simple as they don't like black people. Is as simple as they, you know, um, you know, aren't right. Ra- you know, are j- they're they're racist. Right. White evangelicalism loves black people. Mm-hmm. They want black people. Mm-hmm. They don't like niggas.
0: Yeah. Yeah.
1: And as long as I was black, Cedric. Yeah. As long as I was the black assimilated...
0: Racist socialization. Cedric. Socialized.
1: I had a place, and I would be accepted unequivocally. Yeah. But here's what we found out. It's not... You know what? White evangelicalism hates more than niggas? They don't even hate niggas. They just don't feel safe with niggas. They don't want niggas around. Right. Right? Right. For those listening, I hope you get the context of me... Using this vernacular, yes, yes. right? Don't go all Joe Rogan. <laughs> right. How did you, Lord? Well, it's different. <laughs> we know why. We ain't even gonna go there. But uh, what we have discovered, you and I personally have uh-huh. discovered, they love black people, respectable Negroes. Uh-huh. They don't feel safe with the niggas, yeah. but they don't like. Black people who own and step into their blackness and demand that it be shown dignity. Yeah, in all of its forms. And
0: I I heard a lady say today at a on a panel we did at work, um, "I deserve to be in every room, but not every room deserves me." Yeah, you know, and it's that mindset of being very conscious and aware of who you are and. Um, not just spiritually bypassing or just in generally bypassing one's ethnicity for the sake of colorblindness. And so um, I want to piggyback on the the whole like consciousness of of white people because it, it, I mean, again, this project has taught me how nuanced and convoluted that topic is because it really isn't simple because... Because again, I think we're obviously speaking in broad generalities because we, we all, we, we have allies, right? We have people that are conscious. Oh, without, question. Conscious so, without, so, uh, without you know, question. So don't hear us saying all oh, white But that's people. why I
1: use, but notice we didn't even use the phrase white people. We use white evangelicalism. We're talking about the right. institution. The institution. And we're talking about Correct. how the institution frames Correct. or socializes anyone who steps into that Correct. space, including that, people of yes, color.
0: including people of color. So- I wanted to make sure, like y'all, y'all heard that loud and clear. Versus, uh, man, well, they're they're CRT theorists, and uh, you know, saying that all white people are right. no, like, no, that's not what we're saying. We're saying the story of white people is very. I, I'm saying, and in, in my, I'm articulating to white <laughs> leaders, hey, I think there are some things you don't know about. Let me invite you in on a conversation and uh, <laughs> uncomfortable conversations with a black man, right? So, mm-hmm. like. Like here, here are some of the things that I've learned, um, not only about myself, but I've learned in working with predomin- in, within predominantly white organizations, and 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 how their trauma is manifested is through co- co- uh, cognitive bias, and there are twelve different forms of cognitive bias. I don't, I'll spare you all of that. <laughs> um, which which I centered on confirmation bias, but then we have to deal with the cognitive dissonance, right? And, and that's where the real tension is, is because I have to figure out this dissonance and what to do with it. Mm-hmm. So if I if I smoke cigarettes, the analogy I use, you know, you smoke cigarettes, like I have to, I realize like I hear cigarettes are bad. So I either just say, you know, to hell with it, I'm going to smoke. Or I say, I'm going to, you know, drink a gallon of water, work out five days a week and offset the, offset the, effects. the yeah. effects. Or I actually wrestle with the tensions of it and then I default to my fragility and just run back and just, you know, kind of keep it as my secret scent, right? Mm-hmm. Or I actually change my behaviors, my patterns, and my opinions and beliefs about it and pursue and go down the journey of, re- you know, reform. And so so this conversation about white people, um, we could probably do a whole podcast on that because of how nuanced it is. Mm-hmm. Um, so I definitely want you all to hear that and, and know that, You know, sometimes being a black face in these spaces, um, you know, white people are, you know, I've learned recently, white people are aware of the scrutiny they face if they say the wrong things. (laughs) Which is why, you know, it's, which is why we as black people have to not be as quick to criticize and just deem somebody (sighs) silent and complicit because... It's like, well, like, for instance, I had literally in my dissertation, Mm -hmm. well, if I say that I appreciate Martin Luther King, y'all going to think that, you know, they're going to think that, you know, I'm just appropriating and blah, 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 when I actually like what the man said and what the man did. (laughs) You you, you see what I'm saying? That's that dissonance and that tension that a lot of people, a lot of white people, I think, that are now uh, developing their own racialized identity and consciousness that's attention. That was some feedback that I didn't expect from my dissertation and the Mm -hmm. interviews that came out. It was like, Oh wow. There is a conscious level, uh, to you, but you're fearful, especially in all, I had three or four different people refer to the last 18 months and the complexities there. And so, you
1: know, what's funny though about that. And I've never thought about this before. Right. And connecting the two until you just articulated that. Um, I, 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 I've seen that play out, and I do sympathize for them. And at the same time, uh, hopefully that could be something where they can understand us a little bit better because they the way they feel they need to police what they say that's our lived experience yes. in every aspect and of that's, our life, and that's
0: the <laughs> aspect of solidarity that I'm pointing them to, right? Right. So, like, awesome. The, that tension that you feel, mm-hmm. that's where you're starting to now understand the effects of being one of the few Black people within a. Predominantly white organization, when you have to have that filter about everything, about everything you not say, just what you say, how you what dress, you, how you dress, how, how you, present, you present, how you walk, everything. how
1: you, what music you listen yes, to, what everything. movie, like what media you consume, yeah. and yeah. here's the biggie, yeah. right? How you interact with white women?
0: Yes, 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 yes. And so, like it, I did want to name the complexities of that <laughs> and say, like again, Sanchez hasn't figured it out, Cedric. Like, but we're. I think for me, again, th- th- I have learned, and it's really reformed a lot of my thinking and approach to these conversations mm-hmm. to better. You know, I have a friend who who's South African that I've spent a great deal of time with over the last year, who who is helping me to understand like what it means to put myself in the other person's shoes, and he's coming from South Africa in apartheid, Mm -hmm. in Ubuntu, right? Like Mm -hmm. Desmond Tutu. So like I am because we are, and I think we've talked about this. And so it it really has, it's helped me to not just be so quick to assume things about people, but to be able to say, well, just like you and I didn't know what we didn't know, but we made decisions and said things. And I mean, I remember railing on a kid as a, a youth like mentor about, you know, homosexuality and just railing him for saying he struggled with it. And then I had to go back, you know, years later and be like, man, I'm I'm sorry, bro. I was, I was dead wrong. I was wrong and I was an asshole. Like, mm-hmm. man, I, I am sorry, bro. You know, and we we worked it out and you know, the relationship's great, but you know, but it number one, it pointed to the the depth of our discipleship and the fact that we still maintain a relationship because I never dehumanized him. Mm-hmm. You know, and I said, you know, like. I always told them, man, like always give yourself room to evolve and to grow. And, and myself included, and to mm-hmm. see that we both have, have gone on that journey and that sort yeah. of thing. And I bet some people are waiting for me to say, oh, he's heterosexual now and came to the Lord and is <laughs> you know like that's the I hate those alternatives, but they exist. So uh so all anyways, right. but 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 you know, all this to say is it's, it's the it's the manifestation and impact of our lived generational trauma from from they I, I go back to slavery so you can't talk about slavery without talking about racism well i had this slide the other day i said you can't talk about slavery without talking about christianity because it's been the bedrock and like the concrete foundations of ho- upholding it mm-hmm. and hope of upholding the fundamental ideas yeah. of, of racism and so with that being said what do you think the answer to racism is and what is the answer to the church being unified? Or is unity within the church even possible?
1: This is a trap. Hey, yeah, I mean, it's a trap because all the answers are, it's on great in theory. Correct. Right? Correct. Right? Right. But why is it that they don't work? Correct. It's not because they can't. Right. So what's getting in the way? Right. What's getting in the way is that, and I'm literally processing this out loud, which I usually don't do. What's literally getting in the way has to be a human element. Yes. So um, I'm going to say that the solution, for, for the solution to work, I'm not going to say what the solution is, but for what the solution to work is going to require actual, legit, old school repentance and humility from people who are deemed white. Mm. And it's going to require the solution. So now I'm going to name the solution Mm -hmm. is they are going to have to. And this this is not something we haven't said before. Mm -hmm. they're going to have to divest from whiteness. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. What makes that hard is if they divest from whiteness, what do they then invest in? Uh
0: Here's another complexity. Think about emancipation, Mm -hmm. reconstruction, abolitionists, right?
1: Mm -hmm.
0: Black men, particularly,
1: Mm -hmm.
0: have to make sure... They don't become the master in recapitulating, as one friend likes to say, Mm -hmm. and and repeating the same vicious cycle. Because when you look at some of the critiques Mm -hmm. of, you know, during, you know, W.E.B. Du Bois, Frederick Douglass, and all of these abolitionists of, like, how the black women felt, Mm -hmm. it was you literally got free, became an educated Negro, and you left us behind, which is a, a fair criticism that black women— Oh, it's absolutely and, fair and, criticism. And which, 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 again, is the racist socialization part, right? Like, you assimilate to these ideas, but you're, you're a black face, but you're still manifesting the same thing. And, and the only reason why I brought that up, because I was challenged today, I was listening to Esau McCauley mm-hmm. on um the, the Bible and the slavery, right? So he did a video on uh the Jew 3, or what's it called? podcast. Yeah. Jew three? Okay. Uh, Lisa Fields. No, oh, okay. Uh, her podcast. Um, really good podcast, really good, really good conversation. But he was just saying, like, how could the Jews go from being enslaved to then perpetuating the same type of slavery that God desired to use them to reform and mm-hmm. to demonstrate and model how this could be redemptive? Yeah. You know, and so that that in that aspect, because we're dealing with humans, and then you're also dealing with human depravity, which I was so like for a season, like, can we yeah. just stop talking about it? But I, I, <laughs> I can't. But but in my my rightful deconstruction of reform and, and theology, had to and all deal this with stuff, it. I had to deal with yeah, it. Yes, human depravity wasn't because a it was always the scapegoat for. Well, yeah. we're, we're just human. The the you can't be gay in a church. You can't have sex before a marriage. You can't do, but I can cheat my ties and I can be racist and it's just human depravity. <laughs> I can cheat my taxes as a pastor and it is human depravity. I All can, right. you know, cover up this abortion or this, this, you know, anyways. I don't even yeah, yeah, go, go too yeah. vulgar. But, but I think that, Well, how, how, you know what I'm To, I, to, to your point,
1: and I've been recently um, reading a bell hooks book, okay. Salvation, and one of the things that she points out, about um, the uh, civil rights era leaders and voices, including MLK, is they didn't preach enough about love. Mm. They didn't. Now, when Malcolm talked about love, right, he usually talked about it as a way of turning away from black self-hate. Which is uh, needed. Which is needed. Right. When Martin talked about it, it was usually within the context of loving enemies.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: But the problem is, is that well, the thing that wasn't talked about enough was actually just loving one another,
0: loving your neighbor, right? Yeah,
1: but not just this Kumbaya. ambiguous neighbor. Yeah. Like, name who the neighbor is. Yeah. Name who they are. Yeah. Right. So, you know, the the, the the black folks who end up getting free in some weird twist of fate end up hating the black folks who to steal a phrase from somebody else I heard say recently. Yeah. Pe- black folks who still live living like three-fifths of a man.
0: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Right? And, and and then but again it speaks to the and this is another thing that came out, was the internal discrepancies within white culture within itself and uh-huh. black culture within itself, Right. you know? And so like these internalized cultural aspects speak to this question, which is why the question, I mean, why the question is worded the way it is and difficult, but to, to, to no surprise, I'll give you the kind of the general answer that, that came about it for the, for the white pastors racism was we just need to love each other. You know, we just need to all get along, you know, stop talking about it and move forward. <laughs> some of them said, you know, systems have to change, you know, power has to like, some of them were very, again, you can, you can tell they're on their journey and they're processing. for, for the black leaders, majority, all but one said the church will never be unified. The church needs to be realistic kind of to what you're alluding to managing expectations and how about we start with pursuing harmony before we attempt to be unified? Because is it is it a command? Is it something that Scripture preaches and affirms? Yes, but but what makes it difficult is the piece that you said mm-hmm. was we're still dealing with humans. On top of that, not only like humans that don't think they're humanly depraved, but human depravity in and of itself, right. which is why I say it's very nuanced and just uh, it, it's... so. And I'm not saying there's an answer one way or the other. I'm
1: going to give an addendum to my answer. So I said white people need to, in particular, um, repent in humility so that they can divest. Would you say all or something? All of them. But not not any fault of their own. Right. They're living in a world made for whiteness. They're living in a world that's made for them. Right? My addendum is this, to your point about how black women need to be left behind. They don't need to be left behind. I mean, sorry. Thank God. Lord have mercy. Okay. Sorry. Slip of the let me, tongue.
0: Let me slip. Lord have mercy, they going to
1: come after me. Well, that explains why he's married to a white woman. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so, So that we don't leave black women behind yet again. Yes. Black men in particular also need to assessed and divest of how they've put on whiteness. Yes. So that they don't yes. weaponize it against black.
0: Women. Yes. Yes, exactly. Exactly. Which again, I, I don't know at what point I will write about this. Oh, that's a whole nother dissertation particular issue. Cause there, there are two that I want to do. I'm very fascinated by the differences between black Southerners and black northerners mm-hmm. that that's something that I've heard said um that's piqued my interest so it might be a serious yeah patriarchy
1: is a bigger issue down here in general
0: yes yes. so that uncovering that the other one that I want to uncover is the 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 black diaspora as a whole with mm-hmm. the fact that like you know going back to my South African friend he he moved here you know a couple years ago and is having a history thrown on him just because of his skin color mm-hmm So speaking to that, that reality and what it does to a person, and then speaking to these complexities within the culture itself between black men and black women, um, perception, racist socialization, that sort of thing, and how it's impacted, and then really borrowing from Du Bois and Douglas and really analyzing uh, Booker T. Washington as well, analyzing those three figures um, during that time, and then really trying to get into some of the writings. Because I I do think it's important, but... All that to say, you know, I don't think there is an answer to solving. I, there, there are pathways forward to helping racism, but, but I, I just don't know if it's realistic.
1: So let's go back to the church for a second. Mm-hmm. It's you know, it's it's ironic that um, you for this work you've interviewed so many pastors or people in ministry, just leaders, yeah. Leaders in, in, in the church, here's the thing that none of them either can see or want to admit. Right. I mean, you said the the, the 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 black ones kinda get it more than the white ones. Yep. But it's not gonna be through the church. Not through the institutional church. And I should not, say not the way it's set up.
0: Only one black leader still works for a
1: church. Right that should tell you a lot and right they, there.
0: They, they have found more liberation outside of their church.
1: Yeah, I mean, that should tell you a lot right, right. there, that most of us have gotten the most um, headway by leaving the confines of the institutional church. Right. Um, that includes... Black churches, yeah. because usually black churches get roped into trying to doing these kumbaya harmony BS stuff right. with predominantly white churches right. that is doomed from the start.
0: Which then sets the white churches up for failure and white people up for failure because th- they're looking to them to be experts and to help. But when when and this is and, well and, when
1: they go do those projects with black churches, they're not looking for them to. No, what I'm answer. saying, what they're saying, looking for them for a for for as a get out of jail free card.
0: Correct, correct, correct. But but there, there are there are some that that are like, you know, that's their attempt at, you know, being a building a bridge and walking across lines, right? Because again, another method that you see or an outcome is that you know racism is going to be solved by proximity and serving, right? That was adamant on the. I mean you know the, what I say about that. And this that. is the, and
1: this is the data. Like You know what pro- I say about that. Yeah,
0: no doubt. Like
1: pro- But that when did we have the most proximity? On the plantation. Yep. Absolutely. When we were enslaved. Right. How that worked.
0: Right. So it doesn't <laughs> you know, proximity can be a way. It's not the way.
1: Listen. And it's not if the if proximity was the answer in any way, shape, or form, patriarchy would have been resolved a long time ago. Well, say that one. Say that. If proximity <laughs> had anything to do with it, patriarchy would have been abolished and resolved a long time
0: ago. Right, right. So so if we're dealing with patriarchy, racism, uh, disunity, toxic masculinity, <laughs> and, and the resurgence of purity culture... <laughs> I, I, for me when 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 they when, when one particular black guy said harmony seems more realistic i said you know what i can i can i can i am satisfied with that answer mm-hmm. more so than i am satisfied with let's just sing kumbaya and pursue unity because it's in the bible like right. That that doesn't mean the scripture scripture is not sufficient. But they,
1: you got people. Oh gosh, we could go on so long about this. You got people who are looking at it from a from a individual transactional standpoint. Now you're
0: speaking from the 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 individualistic nature of the white community versus the communal nature of the black community, right. which is another cultural. We didn't even talk about cultural differences that you experience, but. That is a cultural phenomenon, which is why. And then we could talk more so like the stereotypes of black people being emotions. So then you have to then perform and stifle your emotions because you're
1: emotional. Here's the problem with the harmony thing. They thought everything was harmonious until Black Lives Matter started. The reason why they're so offended by Black Lives Matter is because (laughs) they're like, but wait a minute. We thought we had solved this. We thought we were living in harmony. Harmony. Right. And when they found out that, like, no, right. not only are we not, but we have not ever right. reached that point. Right. They're like, but what about the blood of Martin Luther King? What about Obama? <laughs> what about Obama? Yeah. I voted for you know yeah. I, not to make light of it, but you know, again, my point is that that harmony between individuals does not resolve literal policy
0: right and I don't think they were suggesting that it resolves I think they were just saying that becomes more realistic if we're pursuing honest and integrous centered like honesty about where we are as a nation as a country as a Mm -hmm. church that's where the harmony begins because in hopes of us gaining some form of awareness it's gonna bring a level of consciousness that in harmony we can form solidarity in hopes of pursuing what what the Lord wants us to have, which is unity.
1: You know what I think of when I think of this, oh, we just need harmony? You know what I think of?
0: <laughs> they weren't saying it in that passage. No, no, no I know, yeah, I know, yeah. I know, I know. But you yeah. know what I think of? Yeah.
1: Remember that story? Somebody recently posted about it. Remember that story of that guy, black guy who befriended a Klansman? Oh, yes. And through befriending this guy who was like a grandmaster, oh yes, yes, right, yes, he you know sat and he here's the important part he listened right to the perspective of this clan leader right right and it wasn't until after he gave an audience right to this racist avowed white supremacist right then. He was willing to hear this black man's perspective, right? And eventually, the man's heart softened, and and he and he changed, right? To the point that he disavowed of his membership in the Klan, and he gave his robes, right, as a symbolic peace offering, right, to his black friend. And this black friend went on to continue to befriend Klansmen,
0: huh.
1: All right. And basically through friendship, get them uh-huh. to disavow.
0: Right. Right? Right.
1: That sounds great. Right. But if you think my black ass is going out here to seek out Klansmen, <laughs> you are out of your mind. <laughs> and if you if 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 right. that's what you think it takes. Right. We're screwed.
0: Yes, <laughs> yes.
1: And, and, we're we're and, we're really really screwed. Because here's the thing. Yes. Here's the thing. The, the, here's the other issue with that story. It again uses the clansman, the one who most everybody right wants nothing to do with. Right, right. And center him as the bad guy right he's the villain he's the villain which takes the spotlight off of the average everyday person who passively sits by right and sips from the cup daily right of anti-blackness right whom those are the one, I, those are the threat ones as i mentioned earlier right. They can have us disciple their kids, baptize their kids, go to the hospital when their loved one is dying or sick or having a surgery.
0: But not marry them.
1: Right? Heck, we can even marry them. That's yeah, true. Right? Fair. But when the dignity of black people is the 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 true value of black lives is shown to be wanting with the murders, the blatant murders of a Trayvon, of a Michael Brown, of a Tamir Rice. Right. And they have nothing to say?
0: Right.
1: I've already done all that stuff that that guy has done and then some. Right. And yet you can't even check on me.
0: Right. Right.
1: So I'm supposed to get all excited because some one dude, which kudos to him, right. I ain't taking nothing away from him, met converted some Klansmen? Right. What about the rest of y'all that didn't have, I almost cussed, had nothing to say?
0: Right. Didn't know right. how to
1: step in and
0: right.
1: be a freaking neighbor right. to me Yeah. and you and yep. all these other black folks who had infested not to be bridge builders? Yeah. Just because that's where they were. It's right. where they got a job. It's where they found community. Right. Right. right?
0: right. Yeah. That yeah. That's so good. That's so good. So so okay, two more that's questions. That's one in my book. That's good. No, that's <laughs> really good. So two more questions, two more most questions or two more questions. So what do you think white leaders need to understand about being black within their organization?
1: You know, the irony is, is I actually work in an organization now that the leader actually does this really well. Yep. And I have only come into the organization about a third of the way through its history. Because it's not quite a decade old. Mm -hmm. But to my understanding, again... One of his best um, qualities that makes him such a phenomenal leader is his humility.
0: Jimmy is one of the most humble guys I know.
1: It's his humility. He's incredible. Right. But then also, when you talk about guys feeling like, I'm paranoid, I'll say the wrong thing, many of them stop at, I'm paranoid, I'll say the wrong thing a lot of them don't go and do the work to learn what they should say or shouldn't say. Yeah. Or be okay with, you know what? I might not get it right. And if I get it wrong, I'm going to apologize. Right. I'm not going to further make it about me because my apology wasn't accepted in the way I would have liked it to be accepted.
0: Right. Yeah.
1: And yeah. being actually really intentional about creating a team, an environment of people who aren't him.
0: Right. Yeah.
1: That come from yeah. different he backgrounds. Been, he he would have
0: been great to interview. Right. Um, I, I don't know why I didn't think about it because I, I got another great candidate that I kind of... I, I, I use another white leader to, hey, it is possible. Here's the story of another white leader right. who's actually doing it right. And so, Jimmy but would have been that's great. That's the
1: thing. It, he's showing that it is possible. Right. But most leaders, what they want to build doesn't, their humility won't allow them to do that and achieve their goal. Correct.
0: Correct. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and they become... They tend to become territorial. Oh, yeah. absolutely. Ain't no way, ain't no way a normal leader will let a stud like Deontay go. You know what I'm saying? Like in right. perspective. Like, no, nah, ain't no way, but like, hey, yo, like go do your thing. Like, I support it. And, you know, and right. so, yeah. No, G- Jimmy, like you you're you're at but a great the whole, organization.
1: The whole cult- culture of our organization is so different than what you find in church, period. Facts. Facts. Not just white evangelicalism. Period. I mean, look at the story I led with with the church that yeah. we le- my parents left. Yeah. All yep. black church that my parents left. That's That kind of culture doesn't exist. Right. You know, the kind of culture in the organization I'm in now doesn't exist in those churches.
0: Right. Right. No, it's facts. So the last question is, do you ever see yourself going back to a predominantly white organization?
1: It's funny because my usual way of always organizing uh, organizing answering this question is they don't want me. Hmm. It's not honestly though, it's not my call. Yeah. They don't want me. Yeah. They, they, they want the old me. Yeah. They want they they want me. They see what I can bring to the table. Right. They just want to know. Can I tone it down? Right. Can I reel it back? Right. Right. Yeah. Right?
0: Uh Uh-huh.
1: Uh-huh. I know all about it. Right. Right. (laughs) And there's been multiple examples where I've seen that come to bear.
0: Secure the bag.
1: Right. So, yeah, I could choose to secure the bag, but it's not worth it.
0: Yep.
1: It's not not worth it at all. But no, no, it's not a question of would I ever... Come back. It's a question of will they ever? Will I? It's not a question of will I ever go back. It's a, a question of will they ever catch up. Mm. That's the real question. Mm. Because yeah. the reality is, this is the point it's gotten to. They haven't just lost folks like you and me. They losing people like
0: them. Yeah.
1: What I mean by that is, is they are losing deemed white pastors who are actually awakening and willing to get uncomfortable, repent, humble themselves, and then use their gifts and talents to try to disciple people in this area, and they are shown the door. Facts, yeah. Or they recognize what the cost will be if they actually start to try to disciple people in this. And so because they have to look out for their family, yep. they leave.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. So one one quick uh, resource that I'll, I'll recommend for uh, just white Christians wanting to understand that process. So one book that came out, I think it was last year, uh, was Rediscipling uh, the White Church, I believe, uh, mm-hmm. by uh, David Swanson. David Swanson, yeah. Um, really fascinating reading. He's got a very unique story that I, I definitely think it's worth um reading um and then I can't recommend enough uh reading while black by Esau Macaulay and um and just listening to some of the things that he's saying and N.T. Wright's got a couple of new books that are out that are pretty heavy hitters as well that I think will um from a global perspective and maybe if you're trying to understand and reckon with some of these tensions and nuances with scripture um uh, will be super helpful but um but all this to say is like you, you're you. What we talked about tonight is the it, it, it is my dissertation, right? Yeah. It's 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 you. You see this wrestling with the inner person of who you are, your identity, not only as a child of God, created in God's image and likeness, <laughs> um, but we wrestle through that theology, the curse of Ham, and the slave theology, and how it, and then we saw firsthand like how trauma, intergenerational trauma, transmitted and theology was passed down and how you know it's never been dealt with and and and, and rec- reconciled mm-hmm. a constitution from the 1930s <laughs> come on bro like so so if this is what's guiding church doctrine and church ideologies Policy. and stuff and polity mm-hmm. right like man like imagine what it does when a black person come into the or comes into the organization and so um Man, this is great. I, I this is my <laughs> prep for my defense because it's going to be a conversation, <laughs> pretty much. But, but no, this is great, man. And, Blair. um, and you know, maybe next podcast we'll uh we'll flip the script and you, we'll have you interview me a little oh. bit. and We'll Ooh. share a little bit because yeah. my my experience is similar but very unique, um, um, in some ways and aspects, um, than uh uh Cedric's. So
1: yes, that's my name. Uh, I was called you <laughs> the other C words. <laughs>
0: So, so it just rolls off my tongue. Y'all are one and two in my phone. So, word, word. So, uh, so anyways, uh, that's that's what we got for today, man. Um, man, I'm excited about this next season of Life and Token Confessions because um, I'm curious to see how, after taking a little bit of a break to to mm-hmm. recalibrate, it's like every new season, like we just enter into a new universe essentially. Yeah. And so, um, so I'm excited to see what comes from this so shout out to our Patreons yes. and, and people that Yo, follow for real. Us. The
1: Patreons, we've been on take a break, but y'all have not. Yes, yes, That's
0: so, real. Hey, keep following us on social media. Make sure you're sharing us on Instagram and Facebook and that sort of thing. And uh yeah, we got some stuff coming in. We got some stuff in the pipeline and in work, so it's coming. So it's coming. Uh
1: hopefully sooner than later. Hopefully sooner than later. So they can edit that out later.
0: But whenever you listen to this podcast, enjoy your day, night, morning, week, summer, fall. We'll see. We'll see. (laughs) We'll holler at y'all later. Word.